Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Romans 6. Today we are landing on Romans 6. Uh, If you are with us for the first time, you picked a great time to come because it's the last sermon in the series. And so this ends it. You came at the, the end. That's the only part people want to see anyway, right? Is how how's it end? Like, nobody really cares what goes on in the beginning. But Romans 6 is really the perfect place for us to end this sermon series. So this entire sermon series, we have been talking about what does it mean to live the resurrection life that Jesus Christ bought for us. It's a pretty big deal, right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So we talked about that throughout our Easter sermon series. He rose from the dead to forgive us. He, d- he died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, but then he rose from the dead to give us the same thing. The issue that we have is, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give us the same thing, we've got to do that, right? If he gave us access to this Holy Spirit that's out there, we've got to figure out how we walk in the Spirit. Because there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of people who make the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and you can tell where you are on this fence, because as soon as you say Holy Spirit, you got one group of people that's like, woo, yeah, let's go, come on, bring the fire, pastor, right? They get really excited, and then you get other people who are like, uh, where's the nearest exit? Okay, there's one right there, and there's one back there. We're just going to sneak out the door, because this is where it gets weird, right? But the problem is, we've got Christians who get really, really weird with the Holy Spirit. And we do really, really weird stuff. Now look, I'll be real with you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The Holy Spirit does some weird stuff. If God is all-powerful, if God is who he says he is, then it, it stands to believe that he can do things beyond our understanding, right? And so when you walk in the Spirit, there's some weird stuff. But can I also be real with you that that's probably only about 5% of the walk with the Spirit? Because what a walk with the Holy Spirit really looks like is that every day, as I go throughout my day, I am listening to this voice that God has given me inside of me. And I am being obedient to that voice. That has to do, more than it has to do with praying for supernatural healing over people, that has to do with how I treat my wife at home. That has to do with how I treat my servers at restaurants. That has to do with how I have conversations with people at work. The Holy Spirit is way more practical than he is goofy. And I don't mean that practical as in like, if you just obey these six simple steps, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is when you walk in the Spirit. I mean, when we talk about walking, if I say you're going to wake up and walk today, are you going to be like, whoa, (laughs) mind blown, right? Walking is one of the most basic things we do, right? God wants us to walk by the Spirit which means that even the most basic of things, he wants us to trust him and to walk in him, right? For him to give us power to do these basic, basic things. 
And so we've got to understand, that's what this whole sermon series has been about, and we've been looking at the first couple chapters of Romans. Now, for those of you who are super sad that this is our last one in Romans, don't worry, we're going to pick up Romans again. I don't really know when yet. I'm praying about it, and we're trying to figure out, I don't even know what we're going to preach on next week yet. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? So we will pick it back up at some point. Uh, It's just not going to be until Jesus says to. So that's what we're going to do. But until then, let's dig into this last time. Today we talk about the resurrection life, and that's really what Paul talks about in Romans 6. This is the linchpin to completing the gospel. See, contrary to how many Christians walk in the gospel and how many Christians view the gospel, the gospel is not finished yet. You know, we get a lot of this when Jesus was on the cross. He said, it is finished, and so there's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of belief out there. Okay, well, the gospel's finished. We're done. It's not done yet. It is not over, and that's because your story isn't finished yet. The gospel is not done until Jesus comes back and brings his church with him, right? That's when the gospel is finished, when all of this ends and God has his day. And God has his eternity because it goes on for the rest of eternity from that point. But the gospel's not done yet. Now, we summarize the gospel in the Metzger family. Therefore, it kind of gets translated to the gospel house as well. That's how that works. You heard it in the child dedications today. But the gospel is summarized in this sentence. I can't, but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in me. You want a gospel sentence? There it is. That's the gospel. Because what the gospel says is that me on my own, Jeremy Allen Metzger, in my power, I cannot live a life pleasing to God. I can't do it. As Christian as I am, I can have all the merit badges, I can obey all the rules, I can do all the things, but in my own strength, my righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. You get that? That's heavy, isn't it? But here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, a man came named Jesus Christ, and he lived the perfect life. He obeyed God every step of the way, surrendered to the Holy Spirit every moment of every day, and lived a life pleasing to God down to his final breath. But then he was resurrected, right? But then he was resurrected. And in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, we read this story on the day of Pentecost about how the Holy Spirit falls on those who believe in Jesus Christ and fills them with the Spirit of God. The very Spirit of God himself fills them and dwells inside of them, which means that Jesus didn't just come to be an example to us, right? When we end the gospel early, that's what it is. Well, Jesus lived a holy life, so go be like Jesus. Good luck, right? Let's be real here. Look at the life of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Look at the things that he teaches. When I read it, I don't think to myself, oh, yeah, I can do that, right? I think that's nuts. I can't do that. Because if we're just emulating Jesus, if we're just copying Jesus, we're no better off than they were in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saw what Jesus was going to be like. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the law. That was what Jesus did. He obeyed it completely, even more so than most of the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees just did, oh, don't do, don't do, don't do. Jesus said, don't think, don't think, don't think. He didn't even let it get up here, right? He didn't even think those thoughts. He was so committed to God. 
You going to tell me you're going to try to do that? I'm not. But when I surrender to the Holy Spirit, God has given me his spirit to lead me and to guide me. And when I let him power my every move, the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you into sin, y'all. But the Holy Spirit's also not going to lead you into what? Your way, right? He's going to lead you in his way because God's ways are higher than our ways. So we've got to live out this entire gospel. If we're going to walk into this resurrection life, we've got to fulfill the entire gospel. And I love that this whole thing is summarized by Paul so well in Romans 6.11. He says this, So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In this we see the three key aspects of living this resurrection life. First, you have got to consider yourself dead to sin. You have to. Second, you have to live your life alive in Christ. And then finally, you have to live your life to God. And fittingly enough, those are our three main points for today. Isn't that nice how God works those things out, if we're paying attention? We get our three main sermon points right there. So first up, dead to sin. To walk in the resurrection life, to walk in this life that Jesus Christ paid for us, that he bought for us, we must be dead to sin. There is a dangerous lie in the church today, in the Western church today. I don't know if it's ever preached outright, like if people just say it flat out, but it is definitely implied by the way a lot of people preach. It is definitely, definitely implied by how a lot of Christians live. But this lie says that sin in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is inevitable. You can't help it. If you, if you are a human being and you live as, as much as you may want to follow Jesus, it doesn't matter. You will sin. That's not what the Bible says, though. That's not what the Bible says. Anywhere. Do you ever know anywhere where God gives us a command that we can't do? Now, that we can't do on our own, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's a half-truth, right? We've talked about half-truths. Because the truth is, you're right. I, in my own power, can't help but sin. Everything I do, right? We've talked about this. There are two ways to do things. You guys remember this one? There's man's way, and there's God's way. Anything that is not God's way, God in the Bible labels as sin. You see how broad a stroke that is? Which makes it impossible to live without sinning, unless you're being led by the Spirit of God. And if he's leading you, then you absolutely can walk a sinless life. I love this, one of the first things my father-in-law ever taught me. For in the book of 1 John, John's writing this letter to, to the churches, and he says, if we sin, we have the assurance that we have a Savior in Christ Jesus who will forgive us of our sins. I'm paraphrasing, that's not exactly how it goes, but, but that's what he says. But when we read that, as Christians today, we read it to say, when we sin, we have an advocate in Christ Jesus who forgives, but that's not what John says. John says, if we sin, 
which means that sin is the crack in the door, right? Sin is the exception. The majority of cases, John assumes that we are walking in the Spirit and therefore not sinning, right? But it's become so prevalent that Christians walk in their own strength today that we have no idea. And, and when, we ta- when I talk about this, I'm sure I sound crazy to half of you all, right? Jesse, right? I sound nuts. And there are plenty of Christians out there who have told me this. Pastors who have told me this. That's taken it too far, Jeremy. That's, that, that's too much. You expect to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything that you do? You better believe I do. Because that's how Jesus did it. And if I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, shouldn't I do what he did? Right? Jesus isn't holding a gun to your head saying, you have to follow me. It's an open invitation. But if you're going to follow him, y'all, you got to do it the way he did it. This lie of one foot in and one foot out of following Jesus, number one, it's going to exhaust you in the end. It's exhausting. And number two, it's never going to work. God eventually pulls that chasm far enough apart. You, you ever done the splits? You know, you, got, you only got so far, you can straddle that. <laughs> Some of y'all are flexible. You're not that flexible. Because God's going to pull those roads. He's going to pull that line to where you can't straddle anymore. You've got to choose. Are you going to follow God or are you going to do it your way? We've got to be dead to sin. That's the first step. Paul says it this way. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Then jump into verse 11. He says, so you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you are dead to sin. So start living like it. Stop presenting your body to sin. Stop presenting your mind to sin. Stop sinning, but not in your own strength, right? And that's where most of us trip up. It can never be done in your own strength. You know, my father-in-law taught me 2 Corinthians 10.5. says, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ, right? That's what it says. And so, so uh, he, he told me that, that when I have these like, bad thoughts that come or when I have a, a thought that comes and I need to get rid of it, I just pray, God, I take this thought captive and I make it obedient to Christ. But here's the problem, y'all. Even when I pray that in my own strength, in Jeremy's strength, it's good, it might get rid of the thought for a little bit, but if it's not prayed in the power of the Spirit, if I'm not doing it in obedience to God, it's never gonna last, and I've done it, Right? Has anybody out there ever tried really, really hard to do good things? Anyone? Right? I, I think the easiest analogy is when you're on a diet, right? You're trying to eat well. Every dessert, even desserts that I don't like, are tempting, right? 
It's like, I, I'm not a huge fan of chocolate. I don't really care for cake. But like, if I'm trying to eat healthy and there's a chocolate cake, I want it. Right? Because that's just how it goes. And when I walk in my own strength, that's what this is like. You're trying to do the right thing and you may accomplish it for a little while, but eventually you're going to get to a point you're not going to be able to resist anymore. The flesh is too strong. But if you surrender, if you give up that sin, that, that, that's the tricky part. You can't just, it's, it's not a bird, you know? You can't just like let it go free in the air and there it goes, my sin flies away. That's not how it works. As it turns out, you've got to give it up and trade it for something else. And what you trade it for is coming alive in Christ. You can't just let go of sin. That's not good enough. You've got to let go of sin, and you've got to come alive in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died is free from sin." Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. When we are baptized into the death of Jesus, we are buried with Christ into his death. We die. And when we come up out of the water, we come up alive in Christ. This is what baptism symbolizes, right? If you guys ever, if you've been baptized, if you've witnessed a baptism, that's what often is said at baptism. You know, we, we hear at the gospel house, we believe in full submersion. That was how Jesus was baptized, so that's how we baptize. But, but you, you go under, right? It signifies burial. It's like going into the grave because that's what Jesus did. And so you say, buried with Christ, and you dunk them under. And then you bring them back up, and you say, raised to newness of life. Right? That's what the baptizer says, because that's what it's symbolizing. Baptism is a step of obedience. It's a public confession of faith. So what you're saying to everyone who's watching when you're being baptized is, my old man is going down under. And the person who's coming up out of that water has nothing to do with him. The old man is gone. I am being raised alive in Christ Jesus. And that's very wonderful. I would strongly encourage you, if you have never been baptized, what are you waiting for? It is the first step of obedience. It is, it is a simple step. It's, uh, you know, you just go, we, I got a hot tub at my house. I'll baptize you in 100 degree water. It'll feel great, nice and warm. We'll turn the jets on afterwards. And get a little massage, right? It does, I mean, we'll find a body of water somewhere if you want to be baptized. Come find me and I'll baptize you if, you've, if you haven't been baptized. But it's, it's the greatest step of obedience. But here's the thing. Too many Christians, after baptism, are buried with Christ, and then when they come up out of that water, they grab that old man and bring him with him. 
right? We've talked about that story of Jesus Christ when he raises Lazarus from the dead. One thing that Jesus says to all the people who are around Lazarus, Lazarus comes out of the tomb and Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and set him free. Dead people, according to Christ, aren't meant to carry around their dead stuff. When you are resurrected with Jesus Christ, when you come alive in Jesus Christ, leave the old man in the grave. Leave the old woman in the grave. Don't bring him out. But when the old man stays in the grave, so do the old man's ways. Which means that Jeremy Metzger isn't in control anymore. I've surrendered that to somebody else who calls the shots now. Right? The New Testament tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. But God doesn't co-own your temple. You got that? God doesn't co-own the temple. He doesn't give you a share in it. You are his. You belong to Christ. So your life must be lived entirely in Christ which is how Jesus did it, right? It's not good enough just to be alive. You've got to be alive to God. And then we get a fun little subtitle here. Embrace slavery. That's harsh, right? We've got a negative connotation of, what the, of the word slavery today, and rightfully so. I'm not saying it should be a positive word that we look at and we're like, oh, yay, slaves, that's good, right? We, we don't want to do that, but... Slavery is a loaded word, but when we look through the Bible, it's used all the time when disciples of Jesus talk about their relationship with God. I have gotten into some knockdown, drag out fights with pastors over this. Some pastors really don't like this. Some people's theology, ooh, <laughs> when you talk about this, they, they start to, who the sun sets free is free indeed, and I refuse to. <laughs> You're fighting with Paul, not Jeremy, right? And Paul's not the only one. Paul says it. Peter says it. The mother of Jesus, Mary, right? When the angel comes down to her and says, hey, Mary, you're going to bear the child of God who's going to save the entire world. You know what Mary's answer is? Okay, sure. Nope. She says, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Now, translations today, because that word slave is, is so charged, they try to get away from using it. So a lot of translations will say bond servant or just servant. Uh, but but it, it remains the same, right? Slaves don't have a choice. When we serve God, we don't have a choice. Even in the Old Testament, uh, if, if you've made it there, we have a gospel uh, house Bible in a year plan that we're reading through. If you've done your Bible reading today, you saw it this morning. If you have not yet, you will see it. Spoiler alert. Psalm 116 says this, O Lord, I surely am your slave. I am your slave, the son of your female slave. You have unfastened my restraints. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. We are God's slaves. Now, here's the thing. God loves us, and he has unfastened those restraints and called us children. 
But y'all, when we get this right, when we see that in the midst of it all, that we are just servants of God, but he has called us in as adopted children, that should cause us to be more obedient to him, right? That should cause us to have more of a response, more of a, a rush towards him. At least it should, right? Before we get too far into that, let's jump back. Verse 11. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This word alive is zao, which means to live. But the sense that you get when you read this word in the context is that it's not just living, but it's living a particular way, right? And so it's got to be followed by something. So it's not just living. You guys, I used to be a country music singer. There's a country music singer named George Strait, if you've ever heard of him before. So this is the gospel according to George Strait. George Strait says that there's a difference in living and living well. He sings it. There's a difference in living and living well, right? And I don't think George Strait was singing a worship song when he sang that. Like, that's not what he's talking about. But, but it has gospel implications, y'all. There is a difference in living, and there is a difference in living to God. Living for God. We can go through this life and just live it. And that's what plenty of Christians do. I'm alive in Christ, yay! And we run around and do our own thing, right? But that's not how Jesus did it. Look at how Jesus did it. It's from verses 9 through 10. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even Jesus... The resurrected Jesus lives his life for God, to God. Why do we think that we are allowed to live this resurrected life any way we want? Right? We act like we can come in here and, and serve Jesus however it works best for us. Plenty of churches teach that. This isn't one of them. You haven't picked up on that by now. But we do. We serve Jesus to advance ourselves. We go to church to advance ourselves. And you find this out really quick, y'all. Because eventually, we'd never say that out loud. Well, the only reason I come to church is so it looks good. The only reason I do any of these outreaches is because it looks good on my resume. We'd never say that. But when push comes to shove, when you've been praying and praying and praying for that promotion and you don't get it. When you've been praying and praying and praying for healing, for your healing, for the healing of a loved one, for, for whatever it is, and it doesn't come. When you lose favor and power and position and popularity, and people start to act against you because you're a Christian, you find out really quick who your real God is. Because you either run to Jesus at that point, or you run from Jesus at that point. Well, forget it. And, and look, y'all, I've been, I've, I am going through it. I've been through it. I don't say this to be like, oh, just strengthen your faith. Buck up, tiger. Things will get better. 
That's, that's not in the Bible anywhere. The Bible does say things will get better. It just says we have to wait for eternity for that to happen. But the Bible says on this earth, there is, there's potential that there's no prospect of your life getting any better. Have a good day. See ya. Enjoy your buffet. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible says that someday we have a holy and good and strong and powerful God and that one day he is going to come back and set all wrong things right. And that for all of eternity, that rightness that he sets will be what goes on. And this will be like a bad dream. I've said this before, I stole it from somebody else. I can't remember who I stole it from, but you're welcome to steal it from me. But, but you know, if, if God is, is not real, if none of this is real, if Christianity is false, then this life is as good as it gets. Right? This is as good as it gets. But if God is who he says he is, and we choose him, then this life is as bad as it gets. Things will never be this bad again. It's a no-brainer for me, which way you go. But real quick, we find out who our real master is. Because the fact of the matter is, we love, we, we're Americans, right? We're celebrating Memorial Day, we're celebrating our freedoms, right? We love our freedom. But the fact of the matter is, y'all, you will serve a master. That's not optional. The Bible says you've got two masters that you can choose from. You will serve a master, though. Look at what Paul says. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Far from it. Do you not know that the one who, to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from your sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further law lawlessness, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We Western people love to think that we are free, don't we? We love it. And y'all, it gets preached all the time that you are free. And there are parts of the Bible that say that you have been set free. But you haven't been set free any old way that you choose, right? You've been set free, but you've been set free so that you can do things God's way. This idea of absolute freedom, yeah, it's, it's very, very prevalent in our culture today. It's, you know, some people go to the extremes and say, oh, it's worse today than it ever has been. That's not true. There have been plenty of cultures who have strived for absolute freedom. What's scary, y'all, 
learn from your history. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? Learn your history. Cultures that get their absolute freedom, watch, study. Cultures that get their absolute freedom, those cultures don't last long. Pretty quickly after they achieve absolute freedom, the limitation of all restraints, things fall apart really quick. Because it turns out when you tear down everything, there's nothing left, right? I mean, we know that, but it should be common sense. But, but y'all, I, I love this. I was talking to Elam about this this week, but this is another Tim Keller gem. But he says that freedom is not the absence of all restrictions, but it's the presence of the right restrictions to achieve the desired result. So I was talking to Elam about this. I told him because he wants to be a tight end in the NFL. So I said, Elam, look, you are absolutely free to pursue that dream. You can run after being a tight end for the Cleveland Browns and bring them home a Super Bowl, and I will be super pumped about that. I'd, I'd be pumped if he just made it to the NFL. <laughs> you know what kind of tithe check that would be? <laughs> and he's got a tithe to his dad's church. But you can't exercise absolute freedom by eating potato chips and sitting on the couch all day this summer if your d- dream is to go play in the NFL, right? Right? So I wanna, you guys, did you guys hear me play dr- playing drums this morning? I was playing drums on the first song. Some of you may not have even noticed, but I was playing drums. That's the first time I've ever played drums. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, that's why it sounded terrible. But here's the thing. If I want to be a drummer and I want to go play in a rock band, you know, that's awesome. You can do that. We've got a culture today that says you can do anything you set your mind to, right? And that's absolutely true. You can. But you've got to apply the right restrictions so that you can go do this. It is a bad idea to have a dream of being a marathon runner and to wake up tomorrow morning having done absolutely zero training and going out there and trying to run a marathon. I would not suggest that at all. That's why they have marathon training programs, right? So that you can train and lead up to this race. You've got to apply the right restrictions. So why do we think that eternity would be any different? Well, I can just follow Jesus any which way I choose, and, I mean, he's going to get me into heaven. That's trashing grace. That's trashing the gift that he's given you. You will be slave to some master. Here's the thing. You can choose to be your own master. That is a choice that you can make. You can make that choice. But as your pastor, I want you to know what you're getting into. If you choose to be your own master, there's God's way and there's man's way. Whose way are you choosing? Man's way, right? And if we go on the biblical definition of sin, man's way is sin. All of man's way. You can choose to go your own way. But your way is not God's way. And if you choose to follow God your way, that's the problem is is a lot of Christians today try to follow God their way. Number one, you're going to find out that the God you're serving is a lowercase God because the real God doesn't operate like that. 
the real God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is the holiest God, the holiest being that there is, he doesn't operate that way. He doesn't, he doesn't give us the option, oh yeah, yeah, come on over, you drive, I'll get in the passenger seat. He doesn't say that. He says, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus Christ gave his life to show you, to give you the power to walk in it. And you're going to push that away and say, that's all right, Jesus, I got this. That's not how that goes. Number two, if you choose to go your way, the wages of sin is death. Those are, that's, that's the only outcome that you get from this. The wages of sin is death. That's heavy, right? But if you choose God's way, if you truly die to yourself, leave that old man, his decisions, his past, his, all of it, leave it in the grave and come up alive in Christ. Stop trying to do it your way. Listen to that still, small voice that God has put inside of you and follow it. Then and only then, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The choice is yours. C.S. Lewis has a really great book. Talks about, it's, 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 he sets it up as a story, so it's actually kind of fun to read. It's not like, most theology books where it's like, oh, but he sets it up as a story, but it's, it talks about the decision people have in hev- about heaven and hell, and it's called The Great Divorce, but in that book, he says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose the second. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss heaven. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. See, hell is a choice that every single one of us makes. There's, there's this, you know, question that gets asked by people who are skeptical of religion. I just don't, I don't believe for a second that a loving God could send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. The, 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 it, it, that's a very simple answer to a very complicated question. But, but, but the simple answer to that is God doesn't send people to hell. People choose it. And that choice comes in this form. There's God's way and there's man's way. In the end, the people who say to God, God, thy will be done in my life. God, I want your will to be done in my life. And I don't care what that means. I will run after you. I will follow you. I will give you everything that I have. I am yours. Those are the people who find joy in doing God's will. Those are the people who run after God with everything they have. And those are the people who God will never deny heaven. He will never deny his presence. He will always let those people find him. 
But the other group of people are the ones to whom God says, all right, you want to be your master? Then your will be done. And then we get to the end and find out that that's not a real pleasant outcome. It's, it's real interesting. Jesus gives this story about this man named Lazarus who is a servant and this, this rich man. Lazarus was, was this, you know, beggar and, and, and poor and, you know, lived an awful life. But in the end, he, gets, he goes to heaven. He's in, in paradise. He's in Abraham's bosom. That's what Jesus calls it. And then this rich man, he goes to hell. And what's so interesting about this story is in hell, this rich man is in absolute torment. But nowhere in the story does the rich man ever ask to leave. Never. He asks for things to be done. He says, God, go tell Lazarus. Go tell him to tell my family that not to do the things I did so that they don't have to come here. Tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water and just put a drop on my tongue because I'm parched and there's nothing to drink here. I, I'm, I'm in utter agony, but never once does he ask to leave. Well, you can assume he wants to leave. <laughs> you can't, though, because we've all faced that pride, haven't we? Y'all, that's what hell is. C.S. Lewis says, I think it's in another book, but he says that the doors from hell are locked, but they're locked from the inside. Because no one who's in hell wants to admit that they made a mistake. No one who's in hell is willing. It was their, it was their way that got them there. And they're still unwilling to say, you know what, God, maybe I goofed this up. Y'all, these are the choices that we face. God's way or man's way. Do we die to sin, come alive in Christ, and live completely for God in everything that we do? Or do we continue to go our way, assuming that we know best, that I can lead my life better than God can? There's only one way to live the resurrection life, y'all. And I think we, we live in a world that is so skeptical of the church right now. They don't believe anything the church says. They don't believe God. They don't believe Jesus. But I think the reason for that, y'all, we can come at them with the most convincing arguments in the world. Plenty of people have done it. There are books on it, right? I don't think people need to see an argument right now. I think they need to see a church who is living in the resurrection power of Jesus. They need to see Christians who are actually being kind to one another and not crucifying each other over stupid things about the way we baptize children, right? They need to see the love of Christ in his followers. That's what it means to come alive in Christ. Say, God, this person is annoying as all get out. But I'm going to go love them. Guys, who did Jesus run to? The popular? People who smelled nice? He ran to the rejects, right? The people who were hard to love. The people who were annoying. The people that no one else liked. That's who Jesus ran to. And it changed the world. Is it that far of a stretch to believe that if we did the same, that we could change the world too? Listen to the Spirit 
do what he says. It's pretty easy, isn't it? It's the most difficult, easy thing you will ever do. But we got to get there, church. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.